Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. my friends and welcome back to the Trek Culture Podcast. We are your hosts, Sean and Tom, bringing you a hot steaming pile of Trekkie fun. We are not alone this week, as usual. We are being joined by the wonderful, the slightly tired, and yet the oh-so-Cypriot, Andy Palacides. How are you, sir? Are you well? Now, sir, I say, sir, you invite me here onto this podcast uh, to, to discuss as gentlemen uh, this episode of Lower Decks. And I found that not only myself I'm here as my twin, but you too are dressed as my twin. And, and sir, that dog won't hunt, sir. That dog will not hunt, sir. I say, I say, I say that running dog... You got a bit of foghorn leg on there, sir. I, <laughs> I, say, did, I, I did, I did. I may not be a simple country chicken. <laughs> Sorry. Um. Uh, okay, hi, Tom. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, I'm really confused for a moment there, and then I realised what's going on. <laughs> I'm glad um, you two are bringing some energy, and I'm going to sit here in silence. That that is great. Like, um, it, it, I swear, everyone, we are recording this mid afternoon where everyone has woken up, and you know, no one is just kind of clawing their way back from dreamland. Um, my body clock thinks it's mid afternoon, so maybe. Or I don't, I'm not entirely sure what time my body clock thinks it is right now, so I'm just rolling with that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. I. Uh, for me, it is. Um. Uh, uh, it is green. Mm. It's very green. Chris will be happy. It's, it's. It's just the right sort of green. Shall we dive into something borrowed, something green? So, okay, I've heard my thoughts because I gave it many ups and a couple of downs. What did you think? Uh, (laughs) I'm an agent of chaos. What did you think of this week's episode of Lower Decks, everyone? Uh, I really enjoyed it, but I I enjoy most Star Trek. You know, you've got to go very hard for fun an episode of Star Trek that I don't enjoy, but Lower Decks, it's it's, it's probably my favourite. And this episode was... You know, of a very, very high standard. I love it. I love, I love, I love lower decks. I, I love, I love, I love the girls' trip. I love with uh, Talim and um, Tendi and Mariner. I, I love seeing Orion. You know, and 
breaking down those um, stereotypes and assumptions we all have about it. So, you know, give me more on this stuff. And I absolutely love the Boimler and Rutherford, um, the breaking down of a bromance, but then rebuilding it again for the power, for the power of the Southern gentleman sitting on a steamboat discussing things as gentlemen. I mean, it works. It just works so much, Tom. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm here as always to disappoint everybody on the podcast. Uh, possibly my least favorite episode so far uh, for this season. Uh, nothing terrible. Uh, like I, I enjoyed all the things you also enjoyed. Uh, I love the Orions, so I'm really happy to have an episode focused on them and seeing their planet, etc., and more of their culture. Um, but I think I actually wanted to see more of that. I think I, I know it's lower decks, so you know a lot of the times what we're seeing is there for some sort of joke, which is obviously amazing. Um, but. Yeah, just wasn't too interested in what was going on. The 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 B the A and B story didn't really tickle me. Um and I thought, yeah, it was okay. Who heard you, Tom? <laughs> We've been trying to find that one out for quite some time now. Um but no, yeah. no, that's that that, that 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 that's okay. So do you remember kids, um if you see anything funny or joyful, stop it. Uh, <laughs> I know, uh, of course I, I am teasing with love. Um, and actually, in fairness, you raise a good point because in the entire history of Star Trek, this is our first visit to Orion. So in a way, there's kind of like, yep, I have to, yep, loved the funny girls trip story and everything. But yeah, I mean, like you could do seasons just based on Orion alone. Uh, so a good friend of mine, uh, John Conker, who you might know from the I Quit Star Trek podcast, he, he has a oh, yeah. theory that the, the Orions are kind of the, uh, they, they were once a massive empire. It was kind of like, you know, kind of, they, they, they got a bit British, you know. They're not quite what they once were, perhaps, you know. And there's a, uh, I, I quite like that idea, and and, and seeing all that, uh, you know, on the planet, it's a sophisticated but still kind of um, feudalist sort of society. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. We, we like some good pirate stuff. <laughs> I suppose via Tendi's arc, we're getting obviously our best looks into, um, you know, breaking down the stereotypes of Orion. So it, it, in a way. Every single writer pre-Lower Decks is like, we have been setting up a damn pirate culture here and, you know, you're ruining a perfectly good thing. And uh, I'm sure none of them are thinking that. Um, because before this, I guess, Enterprise... I was going to say Enterprise went the farthest away. Something that actually surprised me when I saw it was... Um, obviously, we saw Ryan's in the original series... And uh, one, one or two turned up in the animated series, and then that's it until Enterprise. There's no more Orions, um, yeah, which and is that mad. was surprising. Yeah, like because you just because there's such a like the obviously the image of um, Vina as the Orion slave dancer, maybe not the best uh, example to be burned into everyone's memory, but let's be honest that's the image that's burned into an awful lot of people's memory about what you think of when you think of Orion's. But that was 60 years ago. Uh, so, someone reached out to me uh, after the pod and they were like, no, 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 we have seen Orion's. And you're absolutely correct. In the Kelvin universe, we had Orion serving in Starfleet. We had that very ill-fated Orion officer who there, but for the grace of being assigned to not the Enterprise, mm -hmm. uh, might've had a very large part in the three Kelvin movies. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> she took a left when, Possibly it would yes. have been better if she took the right, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was, you know, that was, it was baby steps 
to having, oh, look, there's, you know, an Orion with a bit of depth. The fact that we were introduced to said Orion in bed with James Kirk was just like, and we're going to keep some of the stereotypes of the 60s Orion still here. Yeah. That at least seemed consensual, though. So, you know, I mean, it, it very much did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And she had agency. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. You see, that's the, that's the thing. You, you, obviously, you had Vina in the original series and everything associated with, with that, which, you know, in hindsight, Great. Uh, and, and then you get to Enterprise and they think, don't worry, we will fix this. We will make it so for men are slaves. It's like, a, I feel you're missing the key point here isn't the, 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 the sex part of this equation here. That and, and I quite like that this episode went a long, long way to fixing that. And, you know, you know, just just embracing a little bit of kink culture as well, which I like, because as we all know, this is a kink-clusive podcast. You know, we don't kink shame. And, mm. you know, hey, you know. <laughs> Even if for a long time the Vulcans were defined by, what do you know about Vulcans? Logic, I guess. You know, and, you know, obviously as time went on, so much lore, so much to know. Enterprise went a really good way towards developing the Andorians as well. Um, yes, 90 they, Klingons, because before that it was just, oh, no. Uh, that was actually no, and, and I, I, I both joke and I'm serious about because poor Tom, you've had to edit an awful lot of this. The Klingons in fairness have been developed rather a lot since the 60s because I think you've seen every single stage of their development 17 times at this point. Yeah, this is probably the biggest range in terms of Orion's inter Orion society. Uh, obviously, we've seen loads of Tendi for the last four seasons, but this episode, um. And yeah, it's it's kind of like a it, it, it's it, I'm I'm gonna say it's a happy complaint. It's like a a clip show version of you know kind of like there's so much to find out. Yes, you have these like deathmatch shot games in a bar, but I didn't at any moment think that their lives were in danger at all. Like I think this is just this is just how Orions have fun. Yeah, it was. I think as well. Like it was clever for them to introduce us on the planet for, with a wedding. Like, instead of them just turning up and exploring, we're being introduced with, you know, something that is important to their culture and also important to our culture. So we get to have a very quick introduction to how they sort of do things. Yeah, I just, I'd like to see more. And I don't think it's really a complaint about Lower Decks. I think it's more about what we've been talking about. We've not really seen them for years um and not just you know in terms of star trek but in terms of actually us watching the show for as, as for the amount of time it's been on just more would be nice um it's all it's almost like you need supplemental media to kind of start fleshing out things in the background <laughs> a little bit more i'm sure i don't know what you're talking about but <laughs> uh, i think we're all going to find out very very soon i, I, I will say this folks just something that has literally just occurred to me now with, with this episode now we, we've seen the wedding uh customs of um betazoids klingons vulcans gorn and orions i think all we have left now are andorians and we kind of have the uh, and telerites and, and then we've kind of Got the full set there. <laughs> I want to see two Jem'Hadar hit it off and just be like, you know, what is what does a Jem'Hadar wedding look like? You know, and how many people survive? Uh, I think I can sum it up by saying, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't <laughs> hurt me. No more. The shocking thing is how probably accurate that is. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my species 8472 wedding. My, my man is listening to this and season five is just all weddings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, how do you think fluidic space got made? So what did we think of the B plot on the Cerebrum? Well, so, okay, so 
Tom, did you hate every second of it or explain your rage and loathing towards Brotherford? Um, again, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I know you're just teasing me, teasing you. I didn't hate it. Um, I. I just wasn't super interested. I wasn't entertained. I actually I had to go back and watch some of the episode again because I finished it. I did watch it quite late at night and then I finished it and then I was thinking back to it for this podcast and I remember I realized I didn't really remember what happened and I was like I'm going to watch this one again. So it's it's one of those episodes for me where it's like I think cuz it's it's a more of a mellow episode um especially compared to like the first two. That it's a, it, it, it took my brain a second watch to really concentrate on what was going on. Yeah, the 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 Boimler and Rutherford thing, I I enjoy I do enjoy them together, um, and I think they're a good pairing. And I and I I'm assuming now that they've sort of been put together like physically in a room, we're going to have a lot more of them too, and figuring out their relationship and stuff like that. So that's always fun, um, but. I mean, I don't want to sound harsh. I just didn't care. <laughs> I just didn't really care. I just wanted to see something else happen. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. That's, it's just me. That is okay. You Don't say just you, Tom. You are important <laughs> and you are valid. Yeah. Um, it was, it, I, I, I got to it. Now, obviously, I loved it, but I got, I got the impression that it was like, we have this joke and it will be the two boys as Mark Twain. And we're going to see how this yeah. works and how we can make this work and how we can get the joke back again. And then we get Freeman and the Chalnock. The image of the Chalnock in the Mark Twain gear that barely fits, and which is hilarious because it's a holodeck. So you, they should have just had <laughs> one that fit him. Um, and because, because the Chalnock have underbites as well to have his teeth coming up over the mustache <laughs> as well. I was like... Yeah, all, all 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 of this is 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 just working for me. But also I think as well, because I am a massive fan of Time's Arrow. So it really it was just like I'm just I'm just I'm just enjoying my nostalgia here. It's so nice. Um which makes me such an impartial reviewer. Um <laughs> Andy, what do you think yourself? I, I don't get Star Trek's love of the whole Mark Twain thing. It's it's clearly someone, you know, some way back brought it in. But I love this episode and this, and, and this joke there. I mean, and I say that because, you know, I've never read Todd, Tom Sawyer sort of thing. It's just something I'm interested in. But I, I love this joke. I mean, I, I have I have thoughts about Time's Hour, mostly because of Coda, which we're not going to go into here today. But I have thoughts about Coda. Um, but I, I love, um, like, like it's, 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 it's the fact that this was their solution to it. It's, it's like, don't worry, Captain, we know how we can fix it. And the solution yeah. is have them dress up as Mark Twain on the holodeck. <laughs> And and the fact the captain went along with it, and you know Freeman's there, sort of thing, and and you got, you got to do it in the southern accent there. And it's just, you see, I'm actually I'm I'm enjoying it more with you guys explaining it. Like now, now I'm getting it. Like yeah. see, I seeing Freeman suddenly just dressed up it and doing it yeah. was funny. It didn't make any. I was like, why is this happening? Well, and she's sitting there as well, saying, "So how does this work?" And he's going, "You've got to speak in the southern accent." And she's yeah. going, oh, uh, 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 "So I've, I've, I feel that we can come to a compromise here." And yeah. he, he then roars, and he goes, "I was a southern accent." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I, I, I love that because in uh, for me it was another example of what Lower Decks does really well. It's it does silly humor mm. well it does it because it is it's a fine line to walk as well like there could be silly humor that just is like 
Uh-huh. Um, but it, and it still does that thing as well. It's just like this is really, really funny if you get the reference. Hmm. Uh, and but that's that's lower decks to a T, you know. Um, but they're deep I, cuts as well, though. I, I I love the fact that the steamboat that they're on, the AP Chambers, is one that Mark Twain actually was the, the, the pilot on at some point. And it's just like, that. that is a level of detail that I respect. It's like, yes, this is a silly deep cut joke that if you've seen Time's Arrow, you're going, or, um, you know, you go, oh, yeah, you know, I, I see the connection there. But then there's another layer on top of it. And this, yeah, I, I, and that's what I love about Lower Decks. It's the fact there's, there's layers upon layers. It's, 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 it's like an onion, as Donkey would say. <laughs> uh, or parfait. Correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. Sean, but I, I feel that Lower Decks gives you the, the biggest uh, cetacean observations of, of all of the Star Trek, just because of the amount of references. And, and I'm not just saying things on screen, like the deep, deep, deep cuts, like having, um, you know, the, the Raven yep. in, in there and, and the level of detail they went in to, to, to creating that as well. You could have had any kind of runabout, any kind of ship you wanted to whatsoever, but no, you went with one of those and this is like... Yeah, that's that's a deep deep cut. <clears throat> yep. No, you 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 you're dead right. My, myself and Chris, like sometimes our hearts are broken, just trying to be like like for example, last week's episode where it was the slightly different um, shape of what was clearly a Catan probe, but we had to go <laughs> and make sure that it wasn't just another probe. <laughs> that was also a thing. We spent a good forty five minutes going through, like you know, kind of like what kind of probes is it? It's like, no, it's not pup that got you know put into the uh, DS nine. No, it's not the Cytherium probe. It's like, right, we're gonna go with Catan, and then feckin' Star Trek, you know, just after it airs, says, ah, well, isn't this like an inner light? It's like, why did you change the you know uh, the alignment of the probe? You could have saved us so much. All right, thank you for. I, 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 I feel it might be though is as as you all know that they, they're they're aware of you. You 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 have been perceived. So I feel now there's a case of Sean's Sean's going to have a lot of fun trying to find this probe, isn't he? Wah ha ha ha. I think between ha. between ourselves and poor York, like you mm. know, but like it, but it, like we're just like I think they're like we're writing an episode going like I want to break them. <laughs> um, and you haven't succeeded yet but please bear with us we have families it was beautifully low stakes this episode like uh, as again as Lower Decks tends to do uh, we got another alien ship uh, vanishes an Orion interceptor um, so enjoying the continuing thread of what the frig is that Um any they're theories yet? Start, well, I was going to say they're going to have to start telling us what that is, and because I, I feel if they just have it destroying ships until the very last episode, that's going to be a little um, disappointing. I, I'm getting real Alito vibes from it, you know, in, in so much you know the Texas class. I, I, I think at some point, maybe two or three episodes beforehand, you know, we're going to have to deal with it for maybe the last three episodes because otherwise, the way they've built it up to be this big, big bad. Uh, do I have any theories yet? I, I wonder if there's a connection to the cetacean probe suddenly showing up in the intro credits. That, that, that's kind of where I'm leaning at the minute, I feel. I agree with what you said. I, I'm worried that, that it's just going to pop up throughout the season and then be whatever the last episode is, because I think that would you know kind of be a bit of a waste of time teasing us and then it being over with. Like It, it has to be something that's got to be explored at least a bit more soon for it to be 
I think more interesting. I am interested in what it is. And I did, I sort of complained at the, I complained, I know, surprise, at the beginning that we had sort of the exact same thing and the same animation for the first two episodes with it. But this one was a little bit different, um, which I liked. Imagine <laughs> it's not going to be this, but imagine if after all this, um, it opens up and it's, it turns out to be a tiny board cube. Wouldn't that be the worst thing they've ever done? <laughs> I do have a crazy theory for you, Sean. Here you go. You like this. What if this, because at some point it's going to encounter a Federation ship, yeah? What if it's the Titan it encounters and this is what damages the Titan to the point it requires to refit? Ooh. Okay. All right. I like this theory because, yes, timeline-wise, that was that, you know, because uh, I, I, I had someone message me the other day being like, wait a minute, Wrecker on the Titan, does this line up Picard season three? I'm like, it does, but I appreciate the question. Um, okay, all, all right. So so you want to see the Titan get its absolute ass kicked is what you're saying. You want to see like everyone, the entire crew, except for Riker and Troy, just get like airlocked and um, yeah, have the Hulk of the Titan dragged back to Starbase where they're like, let us pick the corpse of this ship and build a new one. I have I have huge 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 issues with the whole Titan refit thing, um, which you do not have enough time on this podcast for me to get into. I mean, we'd have to do an episode of the Derelict to get into my issues with refitting the Titan into the Titan and then calling it the Titan A. Like I said, we ain't got time here, but but yes, in short, top line thoughts. Tom, you liked it, but you wish we had more Orions. Is that is that fair? Yeah. Liked it. Didn't didn't think it was a bad episode at all. Just wasn't super interested in what was going on. Wish we had more Ryans. Wish there was maybe a little bit higher stakes just to keep me a bit more engaged. Um other than that, are, are we scoring? Sorry, Sean. Let's let let's score because we have a we have a fair amount to get to. So yeah, so yeah. actually what it out of ten, what are we giving this episode? Um, I think I'm gonna give it a strong four to a light five. Um okay. which okay. I know feels low. But if I'm going with what I've been scoring them so far, it just feels right. I got to the end of the episode and just was like, okay, I watched it. Um, uh, but I, I say this every time, I'm looking forward to the next episode. Even when I'm not super engaged, I'm always looking forward to what they're going to do next because Lower Decks just interests me with, with every episode it does because I don't know what's going to happen. So I am looking forward to it, but I'm afraid it's a strong fall. Okay. Andy, what are we thinking? Out of 10... What what would we score this episode? Well, sir, I will give this episode eight mint tulips. Thank you very much. I love this episode. I will quite happily sit and watch this episode anytime it comes on screen. But besides that, I, I just love the development of Talin as well. In the report in this character, you know, I mean, okay, it was previewed. She was previewed in uh, We Douche, but now we're three episodes in, and I I'm just loving how she's fitting in with. The, the rest of the uh, the cast. I, I I love also. She's breaking down the stereotypes of Vulcans as well. You know the whole, you know, throwing away the report because it was unethical. And I love the fact that when in the dungeon and he goes, yes, he is very physically attractive. You know, I just love how deadpan the delivery is on that. It's like, yes, Vulcans have, have emotions. Yes, they can be attracted to people, and it's just so matter of factly. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for I'm here for the Talin show. <laughs> uh, I I absolutely. 100 sorry just again want to make a point of like we are very much Talin stands on Trek culture like we love Talin so um, just, and I love as well if I don't know if you've seen but uh, Gabrielle Ruiz 
has been very active on Twitter and just interacting with just the love that Talyn is getting, which is <laughs> really, really nice to see. Uh, I am going to give this episode a nice seven. Really enjoyed it. Um, thought it was lots of fun. Um, some things valid. Would have liked to see more Orion's, but I it just like Brotherford flawless for me. We haven't mentioned you could tickle the ivories on the harpsichord. <laughs> <laughs> and I love just like as it pans off, just like Brotherford. Oh, yeah, this is actually really difficult. Like, which it is. <laughs> a harpsichord is a difficult instrument to play. Uh, okay. Now, we have so much to get through, so we are going to shoot right now to the news. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. For over two centuries, you're listening to the Federation News Network. Okay, um, the big news straight away is that um, put it in neon lights, put it in hashtags, put it in everything. Tentatively, the Writers Guild of America and the AM, oh, I always forget this, the unions have come to a, a, a agreement that as of recording needs to be voted on and ratified. But it seems, fingers crossed, everyone seems quite positive about this at the moment, which all going well, this will start the ball rolling to getting everyone sort of back to creating because the SAG after a strike is still very much in effect as of the recording of this pod. Um, so it's not like it's all over, folks. Just and that's not I'm not doing a glass half empty here. I'm just like we're 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 on the way. Um, but there's still more to go. Uh, but it seems like our writer friends online seem pleased with what's in this offer so i'm i am happy that they are happy so that's kind of the big news that came out sort of late sunday early monday morning yes it's it's possible i mean we haven't got super long in between now and when this episode comes out things might change <laughs> between now and then and there might be updates hopefully good ones um but yeah uh what are we 
obviously now that the things seem to be moving along, what's the sort of next Star Trek project that we're looking forward to coming from after this? Like, what what are we looking forward to that they can get back to making, at least writing? Well, Discovery is written. I don't know if they were doing rewrites for the reshoots on how far along we are with that, but obviously Discovery is the next one in the pipeline, I believe. Uh, that aside, it, uh, it's going to be Strange New World or um, the Section 31 event thingy, mm. Mabob place, whatever that's going to to, to be. Um, or Star Trek IV um, with maybe the Kelvin, who knows? You know, that, 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 that could happen one day. That, that's that's going to happen, isn't it, Sean? Sean, that's, that, that's going to happen, yes? There, there will be another movie. Like there will be, like you know, currently. But yeah, what form it will take or what number it's going to have. I mean, I feel like we're going to be like you know the Halloween Michael Myers timeline where it's like, right, hold on, which universe are we in now? You know. Um, so, the, but I mean, general, and also I'm going to risk the wrath of the fans. I'm excited to hear more about Starfleet Academy. You know, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I want Legacy Two. I do, but Starfleet Academy is confirmed, whereas Legacy isn't. You know, so let's get a new show. Tony Newsom is on the writing group. Um, you know, like because Star Trek has to keep bringing new things in to keep going. Um, it's great fun to play the greatest hits, but eventually they will become stale. So I'm looking forward to new stuff. So I want to start hearing some things about Starfleet Academy and kind of see where, where we go with that. And now that, again, touch wood and all, all of the provisors that we put on this as well, now that the writers might be heading back, at least the writing of Academy can get going, What whatever about the next step of production. So that would be, that is something I am excited for. Um, and, and just to stand with you on solid, solidarity, so so that all the fan hate is is, is not just coming solely to you, Sean. Let, let let us take a look over the world of Star Wars. You, you are of an age where I feel you will recall that tumultuous era, era where the prequels and the Clone Wars and everything came along. And I I vividly remember just how much hatred there was for Ahsoka when she was introduced in the Clone Wars animated series. You know, I mean, I mean, the level of hate Ahsoka got when she was first introduced blew what Jar Jar was getting completely out of the water. And now look at what we're getting now in, in the amount of love that character is receiving. And, and there's there's an absolute renaissance going on for that era of stuff. And it's because those shows aren't necessarily made for us fans who have been there since the beginning. They're made for the newer fans, the younger fans. Mm-hmm. It's a jumping on point for people who aren't weighed down by 60 years. You know, they, they come in with this new show and then they discover the other stuff later on. The amount of people who got into Star Trek with Discovery and have now gone on to become fans of other things, uh, you know, I, I think is a testament to that. So, yeah, Starfleet Academy, it might well not be for you and I who are fans of the older stuff, but it will give a jumping on point for new people. And, you know, if you want Star Trek to continue for another 60 odd years, you need to reinvent itself and have new fans coming in. You know, legacy is all well and good. But I say this with respect and love. The Next Generation cast have had their stories. They've had... Literally eight seasons and four films and, and and the rest of it. You know, it it's it's fine to tell new stories with new people. So yeah, come at me. Everyone, we direct you toward uh Andy's profile. Uh come at him. He has uh, very nicely thrown his head on the block. <laughs> Sorry. I I also think like with Academy, no matter what sort of style they go down, we are we're seeing 
members of Starfleet from the beginning of their journey, right? That sets up so much in the future that we could do with so many characters and various sort of paths into different types of shows and stories. So I think it's a really exciting time. I would like to ask you, so you've been busy this year. Um I- and anyone who has been basically near Star Trek Twitter at all over the last year has probably heard how you organized for the Borg to invade uh, the, uh, the Federation 30 years ago. And you're finally being held to task for it. So, um, dude, what the hell, man? I can't believe you organized Wolf 359. <laughs> In my defense, I, I organized the Federation's response to Wolf 359 and explained just how abysmally uh, poor it was. Um, but yes, uh, I, I, I did then do write a book, uh, not just on my own. I, I, I had other people help me, but um, I, I wrote, oh, we have engaged for Borg, the oral history of a battle of Wolf 359, because it's 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 lived rent free in my head for 30 odd years. And, um, you know, I, I decided like many during COVID, but, you know, I should probably get around to writing a book. And then, you know, as soon as it opened up and we'd finished COVID, I thought, Oh, I just missed my chance there, hadn't I? But I didn't let that disturb me. I, I, I persevered, and and I did write a book. And uh, and yes, I, I have I have a hefty tome. So it's a it's a big old thing. Yes, five hundred pages, one hundred and fifty thousand words, um, connecting sixty years worth of Star Trek. Uh, quite coherent. I'm I'm curious if you or you'll ever get a chance to actually kind of read through it because. I'm quite proud of how well I've threaded the continuity needles through all of it. Like it, 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 it makes sense, man. I had a big board of red string and everything, you know, tinfoil oh. hats galore. <laughs> Brilliant. I, and I, I sincerely hope that there is a photo of you doing that, like, you know, kind of 17 cigarettes in one hand and 19 coffees in the other. Um, but no, like real talk. The all of the feedback has been or that that I've seen online has just been this is seriously impressive and this is an amazing piece of work. Um, So both how does that feel and how bloody daunting was it to take take it on, first of all, because like, you know, as you know, Trekkies, we don't overanalyze or read into anything. Well, yeah, it, it it was very, very daunting. I mean, look. I, I wrote this for myself, you know, in so much as I, I wanted to to kind of flesh out a story which I'd been kind of I am someone much like yourself who who dives into, you know, I, I want to know the connections between things. You know, I, I love it when you get the little callbacks, especially back in Next Generation, where they were a lot less frequent. You know, now with the advent of memory alpha, it's a lot easier to to do that. But you know, back back in day. It was get the Star Trek encyclopedia out, wasn't it? And, and you know, have to, to go cross reference. And I, I used to love kind of just flicking through through all of that. Um, but Wolf 359 always struck me as strange because you you have the Borg attack and a fleet of 40 starships go and are destroyed, or 39, if you will. Um, and and then that's a that's a huge deal, that's a huge blow for the Federation. And and then just a few years later, we get Deep Space Nine with the Dominion War, and they're throwing fleets of thousands of the Dominion, and it's just like, yes, the ninth fleet and the twelfth fleet and the seventeenth fleet have all been destroyed, but it's fine because we have like sixteen other fleets, and it's hmm. like, what's 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 happened between here and here? Because you know you can't, you know, it, it, it's I, I don't feel they could have built that many ships in that amount of time, especially when there were Kiras and Mirandas and and, and and things like that. And you know, I just started to ask the question. I, I, I wanted to know why. I wanted to know why, and and so I started fleshing it out and. You know, just just connecting all those dots and, and making it feel more real. And I'm also very interested in 
the background stuff, you know, what, what was going on? What are the stories? You know, what, what was what was it like? I mean, it's it's a fun little story. So when Picard season three came out, you know, there, there are people out there who, who, are, who are gifted with advanced copies because, you know, they're able to get that. And I'm not at all bitter about that. Not, not, no, sir, not mm-hmm. a little bit. But all of a sudden, I had people who knew I was working all this stuff coming up to me going, they talk about Wolf 359. Are you going to talk about Wolf 359 in there? Thinking I'm going to be, oh, that's so excited. Uh, no, no, sir, no, sir. All of a sudden, I'm like, what? They're changing things. They're, they're, uh, what, what, uh. And, and I was terrified for weeks until the episode finally dropped about what are they going to do with Wolf 359? Are they, are they messing it up? You know, I was too deep at this point to go and change anything. Fortunately, you know, it, it was it was a fantastic little monologue from Todd Sashwick, absolutely nailed it. And it it was literally what I'd written about. I, I had written personal stories of people who survived there, and, and here was one on screen, which was great. Plus, it was quite easy for me to take one of the ships, which uh, I had previously placed, and then just cross it out and write constants, and there we go. And now that's, that's, that's that, that was always part of my canon. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, yeah. So, uh, yeah. If I could just ask a... Uh... A boring logistical question, mostly for myself here. Okay. Um, I am someone who started writing a book in lockdown, um, as I've mentioned a, a bit on here. Uh, so I'm interested in your process of, you know, what route did you sort of go down to get the book made? Did you go down more of a, a self-publishing route, or, or was it was it something else? It was 100% self-publishing because it, it, this this really sucks. It used to be that uh, you could submit your fan stories to Simon Sushler, and if they were good, they would print them. I mean, Star Trek has a long history of taking fan-made scripts and stories and writers and encouraging people to to come and and and, and contribute. And and those avenues and those doors have all been closed. It, it's it's now impossible to get a spec Star Trek story in front of people who can publish it. Fundamentally, they have about four or five authors that they they like working with and they work with those ones. Um, and it's really, really hard to kind of get in. So I, I kind of always knew from the get-go it was just going to be a self-published thing. I was never looking to make any money out of this. I just wanted to write a story and and put it out for other people to read and just kind of engage with it. In, in terms of actually writing it, because, you know, writing a book, quite daunting. Uh, that's why I cheated. And I did an oral history because then instead of writing a big, big book. I wrote lots of little stories, and then I had had to make sure they kind of connected together. So, so that was my that was my cheat. That's the secret, you know. Don't don't write one big book. Write lots of small books that are all connected. I actually, without getting into it, my book is in a very similar style, so I completely understand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So, I mean, that's amazing that you you know you went from having the idea of what you wanted to write, and now you've got a physical book in your hand. So. I think that's amazing. Uh, um, yeah, I, I do. Look, I have a physical book. Uh, uh, it's because I'm probably only going to write one book. You know, I, I, I do not consider myself a writer. I don't really have a huge desire to go and write other books. I, but I wanted to have a book and I wanted to have a physical copy for myself. So, again, I printed a copy for myself. I printed it for, you know, there's, there's people who are in the book, you know, like, you know, again, we, we have an interview. We have an interview with, um, uh, Liam Shaw in, in the book. You know, we have an interview with Jake Sisko in the book. You know, people who experienced Wolf 359. And I wanted to give copies to, you know, the people who created those ones. So I gave copies to them and then I got in trouble with Paramount for doing that. I'm sorry. Um, so there will be no more physical copies. Stop asking. You're not getting a physical copy from me. But, um, but yeah, uh, that aside, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it is very satisfying physically holding a book that has my name on it, which is kind of cool. I think very quickly, just to bring down the mood slightly, 
as we have so far, should we talk about the very short trek, the most recent one, quickly? Do we have to? Can, can well, we just pretend we don't exist? <laughs> I'm quite happy doing that. It's only because we've talked about the last two that I feel like we should we should keep up the tradition now of making everyone feel miserable. I'll, I'll, for a I'll, I'll be honest, I, I didn't I, I I didn't get through it. I I, I got about halfway wow. through it, and I'm like, you know, I'm 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 done with this. Um, I'm I'm a big believer in promote what you love, and if you don't like a thing, yeah, that's fine. You could just you know. It, it, it doesn't matter. So, so we've, um, yeah, we've, 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 we've a very, very short treks. I've watched two and a half. They are not really for me. And, and that's fine. And I just don't have to engage with it. I, I'm not going to go online and tell everyone, oh, if you like this thing, you're the terrible person in the world. And, you know, I'm not going to go online and tell people, oh, this is appalling. What is Star Trek thinking about? I'm just going to go, no, it's just not for me. And I'm just going to go back and I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit here as a southern gentleman and, Enjoy this mint julep while I consider that there was many other Star Treks out there for me to enjoy. I I think couldn't, couldn't say fairer than that. Yeah. Well, we can move on. I'll just say it stunk. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, sorry, I, I do just have to mention very briefly going back to the book is, is that there is a USS Ferric in there. Sorry, Sean. Oh. Oh, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so happy. It's, it's, it's been quite a boon year for Wolf 359, which is a strange thing to say. But, you know, between yeah. Picard Season 3, between this book and, and JTVFX has just released an absolutely amazing fan video yeah. of the battle, which is, is, is frankly some of the best uh, visual effects uh, I've ever seen. Uh, the work they do uh, on, on their YouTube channel is, is amazing. They did a great one of the USS Yamato dealing with, uh, you know, its encounters with the Iconian networks before that was destroyed, which was fantastic. Um, I, I will say, though, that you know our, our, our canons are very different because we've kind of approached it from different sides as well. Uh, what they're doing is is the battle itself. The books are a lot more in the lead up and the aftermath of the battle. You know, so we deal with a lot of we, we kind of start with Q who, and you know we have interviews with like Guinan talking about the Elorian experience with the Borg and, and the encounters that go on there. And, and then we deal with, you know, what is the state of Starfleet? Because if you look at Starfleet in season one and two of um, Next Generation, it's very kind of, I mean, it, it, it's it's paradise, you know, as Ben Sisko says, you know, they're, they're really not a, you know, in season one and two of um, Star Trek, uh, Starfleet is clearly not a military organisation, but by the time you get to, Deep Space Nine, it is very clearly a military organization. So I I, I I postulate, I put it to you, sirs, but Wolf 359 is what changes that mentality and that mindset. It's it, it's it's very much Commander Pearl Harbor 9-11 of, of the Star Trek universe. Everything changes after Wolf 359, and that's what the book does. It explores the gambit of what happens from, you know, the world before there to the world after there. So uh, we, 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 we run... Pretty much from Q Who, uh, and the final interview in the book is set just after Picard season one. So, so there's there's your time spans going in there, and and I reference every Star Trek in there: original series, animated series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Prodigy, Lower Decks. There's references to it all in there. So have fun, Sean. <laughs> oh, I will. Oh, I will. And on the spirit of fun, let's get rid of something. Let's go to Cargo Bay One Hundred One.
everyone listening knows, but here's the weekly explanation. We, what we put into Cargo Bay 101 is we ask our guests to pick something from all of Star Trek that we put in Cargo Bay 101. We then say, uh, you know, whether we will vote on keeping it or blasting it off into space forever, removing it from Star Trek for all of time. No pressure. Andy, what are you putting in Cargo Bay 101 for us? Registry numbers. Starfleet registry numbers. Registry numbers. Oh, they annoy me so so, so much. You see, one of the problems I have with War 359, as I've mentioned, is I have to figure out how you go from 40 starships in Wall Street, in Best of Both Worlds, to the thousands and thousands of ships. But it's not impossible to figure out how big Starfleet is. Do you know why? Because the registry numbers make no goddamn sense. It, it's just arbitrary. It makes no sense. It's, it's just all over the place. And then, to make it even worse, they start giving us letter prefixes. And the letter prefixes... It's so inconsistent. I mean, yes, you have NCC 1701-A. But is that a new build ship? Is it a rebuild ship? I don't know. Do you know why? Because they changed the registry number. They've given it a dash A. I have no idea how old the Enterprise A is. It could be 20-year-old, you know, USS Yorktown, but has now been changed to a new ship. It it could be a new build. I have no sense. And it gets even it gets worse. Because then they take the USS Discovery and they just they refit it and they just call it the Discovery Dash A. Why? Why do they do this, Sean? It's not a new ship, it's the same ship, but they've given it a Dash A registry number. And then they're doing it with the Titan. And now you're in a situation where, okay, you have taken the ship, it's a refit, it's been given a Dash A. Is, is, is this the same ship? Is it a new ship? I don't know. It's a refit, is it? Or is it not a refit? It, I don't know. But it's been given a Dash A to honor the legacy of a Titan crew. But that doesn't matter either because now we're going to call it the Enterprise G to honor the reg- legacy of another ship. Does the Titan no longer matter? Does those people who were killed by this weird probe in Lower Decks no longer deserve a recognition by giving it a Titan name? Registry numbers make no goddamn sense. Also, you have a Galaxy class with an NCC uh, designation, and you have a Define also with an NCC designation, but they're clearly different ships for different purposes. They should have a different prefix to their registry numbers so you know what that ship is meant to do. Registry numbers, yeah, in the airlock, out the door, please, and thank you. So we've heard some feelings. <laughs> um, I I don't know. And I've got to be honest with you, Andy, I don't know if I'm on board for this one because, wow. you see, if we lose registry numbers, we lose our 1701s, we lose our 74659s, we lose the other ones I try and remember. Um, and I'm qualified. Let, 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 let me qualify. It's not necessarily that we lose the registry numbers. It, it, it's just the, the slapdash method in which they are applied here. It, it, it's just... just mm. Put me that, in charge. Put me in charge of it. I, I... Far be it from me to try and put a caveat on something, but that's something I get around. It's like, have a consistency. Have, you know, have a kind of a... Right, see it through. What gets an A, what doesn't. Um, no, 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 no A's, no A's. There's, there's, there's no A's. There's no letters. There's no letters. No, no, no. There's, 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 there's a number, and the number goes in in, in the order of the, the ships that are built, and 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 then then you know how many ships are in Starfleet, and and then you can work this stuff out when you're trying to write a five hundred page book about the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine. As someone who, and this may upset, I think both of you, doesn't care too much about. The ships and Star Trek, which I know is a big deal. There will be no amount of southern gentlemen here who can kill this room. Sir, 
And also as someone who's dyslexic, so has always gotten confused by the letters and numbers that they put on the ships anyway. Um, I think I agree. I think make the make them make sense. Because when I'm trying to remember what ship is which and what letters and numbers they have in some sort of order, I can never really remember. And I never I don't really know why one's called this and one's called that. Um so it would help me personally remember what ship is what when I'm editing a video about the different ships for Trek culture and I have to make sure I'm getting the right one <laughs> and not a slightly different variation in a different show. So yeah. I We'll go with the majority here. Um, and I will, you know, I will salute my my 1701s and, 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 and all the rest of me if that's the rule. But uh, far be it from me to stand in the way of unity and the the insane look of glee on Tom's face. I shall never stand in the way of this man's smile. <laughs> so with a heavy heart, I'm going to slam my button. I was going to say, if you wanted, you can get in it with it and then you don't have to say goodbye. You can just, <laughs> just, just gently hugging the registry <laughs> yeah. as, as, as it goes out. It's like, ah! so, 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 so okay. We'll get, we'll get the bagpipes out, you know, a, a, a bit of amazing grace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of all the registry numbers I've ever, ever encountered in my journeys, his was the most <laughs> confusing. Shall we now go to our favorite section, which is our interaction with the audience section, which is the hashtag Ask Trek Culture? Yes, uh, I have a few today. We'll see how many we get done before I decide that we need to end this now. Uh, let's start with uh, a question from at Keith Pickles, amazing name. Um, did the Borg ever assimilate other species that weren't two armed or two legged or four legged? A Borg whale or Borg shark would be terrifying in watery situations. The question is, has the Borg ever assimilated a species that isn't uh, you know, a two-legged or four-legged creature? Um, I mean, they have in my book. Well, there you go. <laughs> that answers that. Yeah. So the question is the answer is yes. <laughs> uh yes, no, because I think any, anything that adds to their perfection. Yeah. I, I mean, it's an adosian in the book, but yeah, I, I have them uh, assimilate an adosian. Uh, and I make a lot of people very sad when it happens because I'm a monster. In some of the comics, like uh, the xenomorphs would, uh, well, there's one where it does a crocodile. I think in Batman and Alien, there's like a crocodile xenomorph, which I remember thinking was the coolest thing that could ever happen when I read that. I mean, we don't talk about Alien versus Predator, but you have a Predalien in one of those. Yeah. Well, the Predaliens were cool in the games, uh, just not in that film. <laughs> uh, so yeah that sort of thing I think would be cool so if we, if you're going to bring the Borg back again let's have something different let's have some Borg whales <laughs> or don't or don't yeah yeah that's probably the better option okay let's do from at uh, the Kelvington oh yeah uh, do you think that Strange New Worlds should do a menagerie type episode and show this pike in the cage or simply remake the cage with this cast? No. No would be the short answer to that one. Um, I Because I liked the gag they did in Discovery 
where in if memory serves they did do that they showed mm. a couple of clips from the cage and then you cuts to Anson Mount um I just fear that one the cage is already gone by in terms of timeline so like let's keep going forward and also you'd lose half your cast you know because you need to go and then get Colt and Piper and Boyce and everything uh so sorry um I get the fun of it. I do. I'm not trying to be, you know, Debbie Downer. But for me, no, personally, I I, I would be. Uh, I, I don't feel that needs to be done. Cool. Okay. Uh, last, he stole my bit there. I'm the grumpy one. Uh, the, the, the last uh, question for the hashtag Ask Trek Culture section. Uh, remember, guys, to send in your question on Twitter using the hashtag Ask Trek Culture. And we may uh, use it in later episodes. This is from our friend Wayne Voto. Ah, yes. Um, his question is, which bar would you want to hang out with with your friends and have a drink? 10 forward on the Enterprise D, Quarks on DS9, or another option? Question mark. Well, my wallet would prefer 10 forward uh, yeah. over Quarks, but I think <laughs> Quarks is probably going to be more fun. Yeah, I agree with that. Um Although 10 forward on Earth, um, which makes no sense, but whatever. Uh, you know, that's also an option. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they've got some... That, that, that has a um, divier vibe than the 10 forward on the Enterprise, you know? <laughs> yeah, the 10 forward on the Enterprise has that sort of... It's like a cocktail bar kind of vibe where... Mm. I think if I walked in there, I'd be like, mm, I don't belong here. <laughs> I'm going to turn around and go. But I do like the fact that in Quarks, there, there is a chance you will die. Now, it's not a large chance, yeah. but enough people have died in Quarks that there is a chance you will die. And then, of course, this is like, ah, it's great. Oh, the wormhole's opening. Ah, oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> that brings us up to time today. All right. So first of all, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm sure everyone listening to this already is stalking you online. But just in case they aren't, where is the best place to find you and to find updates about your work? Uh, so you can find me on various social medias, depending on which ones still exist by the time this goes out, as mm. Andy Free E. Uh, you can find uh, the book online. Well, you can find the book's social media uh, online at All Three Five Nine Project. You can find the book itself. It, the book hasn't gone away. The book has never gone away. It's 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 currently the PDF is currently being uh, what's the word I'm looking for here fixed, I suppose, uh, to, to to appease uh, our Lords and Masters of Paramount. But uh, in the meantime, you can go and find it on Archive of Our Own. Again, it's just Wolf 359 Project, uh, wherever you, you want. Um, but yeah, uh, type in Wolf 359 Project or book or words to that effect, and it will pop up somewhere. Okay, excellent. Um, and yes, do check it out. It is an amazing piece of work, um, as are we all. Uh, we can find obviously ourselves. Uh, I am at Sean Ferrick on the various socials. We have at Tom C. Finn or at Tom Roberts Finn on the various socials. We are, of course, at Trek Culture on Twitter, at Trek Culture YT on Instagram, uh, at Trek Culture on Blue Sky as well. And if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, man, now we'll have a bit of crack over there. <laughs> so, everyone, look after yourselves until we're talking to you again. Make sure that you live long and prosper. And above all, have a wonderful week and make it so. Bye.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.